Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker and I am bringing you the fifth ever themed issue for the magazine, uh, the fifth issue, themed issue of 2020. And it's, it's tough because um, this theme that was chosen way back when last year at a point where we were putting everything together um, is very fitting for the time period that we're in, uh, especially right now with recent events that have happened. Um, this theme is atrocities, uh, and it was chosen by our guest editor uh, for this month, Gloria Mindlock. Um, and I really wish that a theme like this was not so timely um, and that we are dealing with uh, the death of another black person by the hands of a cop um, and it's just very unfortunate which is the understatement of ever uh, that that this is what's happening and um, so hopefully hopefully this theme um, in its its nature is is sort of what is needed right now uh, in some small way uh, I have really no words so let's just get to the issue um, but first I want to talk about what this is um, for those of you who don't know uh, every month of this year there is a different theme uh, that was basically chosen by a guest editor. So the guest editor chooses the theme. Uh, I send them the submissions. They choose uh, which ones they want to publish, and I provide the avenue through this magazine to publish those. Um, and we kind of see what happens. So far, it's been a, an amazing experience. Uh, I don't think this one is any exception to it. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, so let's let's get to it. So this uh, this issue again, the theme of atrocities by guest editor Gloria Mindlock. Um, hope you enjoy it. Hi, my name is Anne Pluto, and this is my poem called The Death of Kurds, after Shakespeare. Let's talk of graves, of worms, and epitaphs. Make dust our paper, and with rainy eyes, write sorrow on the bosom of the earth. Let's change stations and talk of wars. And yet not so, for what can we bequeath save their disposed bodies to the ground? Their lands, their lives, and all are broken and nothing can they call their own but death, and that small model of the barren earth, which shall serve as paste to cover their bones. For heaven's sake, let's sit on the ground and hear sad stories of the death of Kurds, how some were gassed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their enemies, some waking bombed, all murdered. For within the hollow capital, six thousand miles away, where lives the mortal temple of a lunatic, keeps death his court, and there the antic sits, scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, allowing him a breath, a little scene, 
to traumatize, be feared, and kill with crooks, infusing him with self and vain conceit, as if this flesh, which walls about our life, were brass impregnable. And humored thus comes at the last, and with a little pin will bore through his capital walls, and farewell, fool, cover your heads, and mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence. Throw away respect, tradition, form, and ceremonious duty. For those who have mistook him all this while, he lives with bread like you, feels want, and will taste grief, need friends. Subjected thus, how can you listen to him say, I am the president? The inspiration for my poem, Death of Kurds, came last year in October after President Trump pulled the U.S. troops out of Syria. I was not stunned, but terrified, and I went to my uh, one of my favorite Shakespeare monologues, which is from Richard II, Act Three, Scene Two, where Richard says, let's talk of graves, of worms, and epitaphs, and it's about the death of kings, and I changed it to the death of Kurds. I used the complete monologue and just changed some of the words. It, it was a great exercise. I am a director and also an actor and started a Shakespeare theater at Lesley University where I teach. So Shakespeare is always with me. Thank you. Ignored Numeral by Kim Malinowski. They crossed out her name, etched a number on her arm, took her long blue dress, her bracelet, her children, grazed a rusty razor across her scalp, held her down on a table and spread her legs, tracing each fold. She worried about the food, the poisons in it, tried fasting but gave up after three days. Soldiers came and went, never looking at her face. She tried everything to keep her breasts hurt. When no one was looking, she flexed her muscles, watched other women get older, their breasts sagging, the number of men using them dwindled. She watched them let out, knew they were gone with the others. When the blood came, it was a relief. The soldiers didn't understand her tears. They beat her, heavy blows, fists pounding on her back. Dirty, dirty, all of you just like animals. They beat her as she wiped the ground, smearing blood in circles. Analysis of Ignored Numeral I hope I did honor to those women that endured such trauma. I researched diaries and other sources to both understand what happened to women in concentration camps and how bodies physically and chemically react to atrocity. Artery by Kelly McWayne in memory of the Boston Marathon Patriots Day, April 15th, 2013. What can you pinch between finger and thumb? Not a second from a day. Certainly not the one the three Marines pulled up at Carlos Arredondo's door. Carlos's 44th birthday, 2004. His mother in the kitchen baking. The smell of fresh pastel in the air. Three strangers on the lawn. Why now? Why here? Where is Alex? Not among them. 
still in Iraq. He signed up a month before the World Trade Center attacks, left in a van, a green duffel bag slung across his back. Mr. Arredondo, we regret Alex, mijo, mijo mayor. Carlos tells the men to leave, leave now. If he can pluck away their words, this awful thread of fate, maybe Alex will remain alive. But the Marines have to stay, have to wait for Carlos's wife. Mama, these men say Alex is, but Carlos's mother is collapsing, pastel falling to the kitchen floor, leaving Carlos to slip beneath the beating hoofs of a black horse, spinning now on a red carousel of rage and rage and rage. Who is the man going to the garage to grab a blowtorch and a container of gas? Who is the man marching in his socks across brown Florida grass? Who is the man pouring gasoline in the Marines' government van? Alex, where are you? Alex, come home. But time will not stop between finger and thumb any more than a sniper's bullet will fly back inside its gun. All must be destroyed, thinks Carlos, as gas fumes claw at his throat. He tosses his torch in the van. The world around him explodes. Nine years later, Carlos stands watching the Boston Marathon, handing out American flags, cheering on two groups running in memory of his sons. Carlos's other boy, Brian, hung himself, lost to drugs and the grief that comes in the wake of a beloved older brother's death. The heart is not meant to be a tourniquet. Burns still pain Carlos's body. Knots of scar tissue web his legs. He drives his pickup around the country now a peace and healing activist. Alex's name decorates the truck. His uniform is on display. His football, his Winnie the Pooh, the folded flag the officers gave. Carlos talks about the cost of war, wears a white cowboy hat. He doesn't want the world to ever forget. And when the bomb goes off in Boston that day, Carlos's old scars do not stop him. He dashes into the pouring smoke lifts up a young runner named Jeff Bauman, both of Bauman's lower legs blown off. Carlos ties ripped t-shirts around the bloody thighs. He sets Bauman in a wheelchair someone finds. He pinches together the pulsing red cord of loose artery that dangles and spurts. Stay with me, Carlos says as the two push off through the chaos of sirens and swirling dust. What does it take to hold a life between finger and thumb? a father in a white cowboy hat who couldn't save his sons. I'm Brad Rose, and I'm reading my prose poem, Not a Kidnapping Per Se. I'm a man in a small room. I'm doing some experimental thinking. It's like swimming without getting wet. Why do I start thinking one thought and stop thinking another? I know what they're trying to do to me. Dreams only let you see what they want you to see. Of course, everyone has something they want to do with their life. I'm wearing my best shoes. You can tell by just looking at them. I own my own phone, so I can say whatever I want. The woman in the back bedroom says that all she wants to do is to go home to her kids and her husband. I tell her it's nice here in the desert miles and miles away from everything, the enormous sky, 
useless as a scream in a howling wind. The only thing that's bothering me is the grave I dug. It's deep enough, but I wonder, is it too close to the house? My name is Michael Daly. This is a poem called The Martyrdom of Jamal Khashoggi. When I punch a hole in my time card at the door to the weapons parlor where fuselage, spear, tongue of defender, click for the kingdom of the pure whose wealth we reckon with thumbprints on triggers we're proud to instill our steel facility is cleansed by his name. We'll name some ordinance for his arm, an arsenal just for his heart. Sharpshooters learn the coil of his eye. His tongue steeps in acid tea brewed from dollars. His giant face crawls through the world on haunches of a beast behind children in a wildflower hologram ghastly evacuees from clouds we fabricate genocide babies eyes like our own were in childhood that same dismay though now we have jobs holy martyr you could kill the parts of you we bag and purify spread through a meadow flowers sprung up in my name in your name Sweepers by Nina Rubinstein Alonso Delhi Hotel, six men squatting on lobby rugs, sweeping filth, dragging brushes and dustpans, steady rhythm over and over, collecting dust and dirt, while guests rush to board the bus for the Taj Mahal. Seems no trains are moving, all tracks drowned in the worst flood in a hundred years. We're trying to get to luck now. On the phone, needing a flight. Days waiting, we wander whatever local sights. Even climb the top of the red fort, stunned then sickened, absorbing sun glare on a hugely expanding river, glowing hands of water, strangling entire villages, freshly planted fields, fully submerged. Running for last-minute tickets, we carry bags to a cab, stop to nod at sweepers, looking down, scraping carpet, sometimes pausing, sometimes a blank stare. Texting in class. They are like gymnasts, tapping below their waists a resplendent smile to their crotch. Their heads bob up and down, a restless boy. I call on them, they smile with cunning innocence, a sleight of hand, they slip it clandestinely into a pants pocket. Something is up their sleeve. There is always a tapping subtext in my class, my commentary lost in the coded text. It should be on the syllabus, this game of cat and mouse, but their bodies shake. They are not on firm ground.
Hello, my name is Dana Rowe, and this is orange. Soil absorbs seeping orange, mist for leaves to fall, political promotion, outrage. Peter came home, survivor, genetics changing, his organs still in combat, outrage. Felling forests of Peters. Dong Kin stands victim. Dioxin stains most quarters. Outrage. Children of victims' children bear genetic curse. Outrage. My old friend, PTSD, has been with me for 53 years now. He sometimes brings my other old friend, Survivor's Guilt, with him when he comes to call. They were the genesis for this poem. I've long regretted the use of Agent Orange, better known as Dioxin, in Nam. My high school classmate, Peter, brought it home and died of it, young. But still, there were tons dumped into the soil of Vietnam, and it's still there and doing its evil to those who still live there. Some of its victims weren't even born when it rained down. I began writing poetry during my deployment to the Tonkin Gulf and have kept it up ever since. I tailored this form I've used for myself from the Zen of haiku, which I write to force myself to focus. It's called a truncated Klein bottle haiku I use form to force some precision among my words and phrases. This TKBH, as I abbreviate it, is the 17 sound bites of haiku turned inside out into 71 sound units. And the lines go 757 instead of 575. Still, this is a modified TKBH as the uses of the word outrage fall outside the format. Then again, they do make the poem work. When guest editor Gloria Mindock came up with the theme Atrocities, the atrocity of condemning the land and people with Agent Orange leapt to mine and forged the poem. It took repeated heatings and hammerings to get it to its current shape, but here you have the results to judge for yourselves. Vincent Dorio, the cities get bombed. It hurts so much to see the devastation. Buildings splayed open like trees hit by lightning. Block after block, street after street, home after home. Believe me, I know of the human toll, too large to even handle. But to know the survivors have nothing, nowhere, Concrete chunks to rest their heads. Rebar scraps to stir the soup. Alkaline dust to wear as stage makeup. Once great meccas for millions, now something to flee. While their leaders call them rebels and send more flaming bombs. Aleppo, the Vienna of the Middle East. London, more than one million homes. 
Berlin 80% destroyed, Zulich 97%, Warsaw 85% incinerated, Hamburg, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, Atlanta, the ashes of cotton and slaves, and on and on. The battlefields have moved. We have become too good at destruction. The character we lose in each of the rebuilds. Every one of these homes was like a Monet. They represent people working together to provide a home to fill with love. There are no more spoils for the victor. Scorched, scarred, scattered. Taking a man's home is one way to break him. Destroying those homes is a way to break the builders. The rubble, a memorial to stupidity. I wrote this poem after seeing drone footage from Syria of the cities destroyed by the government, the people hiding in complete rubble and chaos, and it made me think about all the homes and buildings that had been destroyed in all the wars. I googled top 10 cities destroyed by war, and I saw an endless supply of pictures of beautiful, once beautiful buildings destroyed by Allied bombers and war uh, bombs, and it made me think about the homes and the, the beautiful architecture and the architecture of the time, and it made me think about how all that has been forever lost, and now everything gets rebuilt with less and less detail and more and more just concrete boxes, and that's a very sad thing. Last of the State Boys by John Cutera. On good days they left us alone, tossing us butts and ignoring our all-boy orgies. For years I roamed these green-brown hills with Kenny the Cowboy and Limpin' Larry, both gone now, buried in the state cemetery by a priest who wouldn't leave. We survived radioactive oatmeal and blizzards so bad our food came on snowmobiles. And now, weeds and crabgrass surround these abandoned buildings, windows smashed from inside and out. We won't get our inheritance, though the land's worth millions, but hope to be buried here with our friends. Hi, I'm John Cutera, talking about my process for writing uh, my poem, um, Last of the State Boys, and writing in general. I think I do not see the world as beautiful, and I don't think my poems are necessarily beautiful. I do see the world as fascinating, dramatic, compelling, wonderful, heartbreaking, funny. So that's what I uh, aim for in writing poems. I've written a lot, uh, short stories for most of my life, and I have to resist the uh, impulse to tell a story. I just want to get the feeling, the words, the smells, the sounds, everything right for a poem and not tell a story. 
I did work at the Walter E. Fernald State School for four years from 1976 to 80. That's what this poem is about. And uh, it left a lasting impression. And I also met my future wife there. Um, sometimes I like to end poems with a little bit of a surprise, like a Flannery O'Connor short story. Um, I sometimes address grim subjects, but try to find some humor or irony in them. Um, they're usually pretty personal, and uh, my poems turn out a lot better if I write them and then let them sit for a month and then come back, and I can see them from a different perspective and edit them and generally make them better, occasionally make them worse. So those are my thoughts. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, Jeannie E. Roberts reading Woman in Restoration after a photo. No white coat nor injection could rouse her being so lifeless, cocooned. Soon tissue will abscess as muscles atrophy, yet fractals yawn in teal of eternity, radiate as though siloed within wellspring of hope, where curled like caterpillar, she holds the universe in silhouette. Not so long ago, you recall observing nature, streaming light to squirrel and turtle, toad and tadpole, moth and monarch, to daffodil unfolding and fiddlehead unfurling, to the purpling of iris and to chrysalis transitioning by a thread. Here, Crypsis of Gathering examines her body, measures the effects of displacement, exclusion, studies the impact of human scorn. Where silence echoes, only the stir of your inner lens shifts, streams radiance to this woman, as if you could turn her life around, shed her layers, remove worlds of trauma, heal, like the one creator, almighty maker of all. Woman in Restoration was inspired by a photo taken by Betsy Mars. And her photo was published in Rattle Magazine. It was uh, used as uh, an ekphrastic prompt, which Rattle Magazine does monthly. and. Her photo was very dramatic, very compelling. It, um, it had a woman curled up on a light source and it looked, it looked almost like a, a silo. And it, uh, it was rather eerie looking, but also, also very beautiful. And that's what inspired my poem. Thanks. Uh, this poem is called Asylum, and my name is Ed Meek. Asylum. It's as easy as cutting a cord to separate the mothers and children, the ones seeking asylum from gangs and violence. So desperate to flee, they'll risk seizure by the border patrol and customs agents who need at least two officials, one who grabs the kids, the other the mothers, 
pinning their arms from behind to pry them apart like oysters. The agents must learn to ignore the crying and screams. They have a job to do, commands to obey that come all the way from the top. Really, it's as simple as turning a lock, as easy as pulling a trigger. Uh, so, of course, this, this poem is about um, separating uh, families, separating mothers and children. I had read that some customs agents had quit because uh, it's it's just so awful. And, you know, I just, I, I still can't believe that Americans um, condone this, that, that this is okay to separate families and to... Uh, lock people up who are refugees in cages and treat them that way. A German soldier on the Eastern Front writes home to his wife by Mark Pollock. During my first try, my hand trembled a bit as I shot, but one gets used to it. By the tenth try, I aimed calmly and shot surely at the many women, children, and infants. Infants flew in great arcs through the air, and we shot them to pieces in flight. <laughs>